Thank you for your singing. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. It's good to have you with us um, this morning. Um, uh, my prayer is that all of you had a good Christmas. And uh, if you were traveled, I'm glad that you are back safely. I know there are a number of our church families that are still traveling, so be in prayer for them as well. As we head into 2019 in just a couple days, oftentimes at this time, I don't know about you, but I often will reflect on my last year. And I I want you to think about what was 2018 like for you? What did you do? Now, it's not, uh, the year's not over yet, so what did you do with the last 363 days? The last 8,712 hours, the last 522,000 minutes. Take a few moments and reflect on your mind what happened. I'm sure in this last year you had some times of joy, some times where you spent time with loved ones and did things that you enjoyed and, and just had a great time. I'm sure there was times of laughter where something happened and, just, and you just uh, enjoyed laughing together as a family or as friends or uh, co-workers. I'm sure there was also times of sadness. I think of times that we had as a family spending time together this year and just uh, great times. I I remember uh, this summer we had an opportunity to travel to New York and spend time with my wife's family and celebrate her grandfather's 95th birthday, and we had a great time. Uh, But even on that trip, we had an opportunity to go to New York City, and uh, we visited the, uh, the site of the Twin Towers and uh, though it was a very somber time, it was also a, a, an exciting time for us to be able to recount to our kids what happened and the sacrifices that people made at that time. Uh, I remember the opportunity I had to go to India, just a great time I had there and uh, the things that God taught me. Um, I think even as, uh, as a church staff, it's been a thrill this year to add Pastor Will to our staff and uh, we've enjoyed uh, Pastor Will, Pastor Nate, and I a, a number of times together. Uh, we've been doing together uh, studies of books and, and uh, studying God's Word together, and it's just been great to, to, to grow together as a staff. We also know there's hard times that all of us have faced this year. Um, I think about times that, struggles that we as a family have had. And some have been hard. And I know that many of you have faced troubles as well. And I know that you've gone through, whether it's physical trials or uh, relational trials or financial trials, you've gone through things that just have not been enjoyable. I think of the time that, uh, that I heard and many of you heard of the, the shooting of Charles Wesco and just the, the heartache that that was. I want to ask you an important question that I want you to think about throughout this message. What is the one thing about 2018 do you wish, the one problem, the one hardship, the one heartache that maybe is still even in your life that you wish could be removed in 2019? Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's a relationship that has turned sour. Maybe it's even an internal battle that you have where you are battling inside something and you just it's just eating you up. What is that one thing? 
Right now, think about it. You have it in your mind. Maybe it's actually two or three things. Maybe there's two or three big things in your life, but do you have those things in your head? Let's pray. God, I just pray you'll help us as we go through this message. As we end 2018 and go to 2019 in, in your calendar that which means nothing, but for us, Lord, it's often a time where we reflect on on what's happened in the last year. Lord, I just pray that you will help us to, to just as we dwell on those things and as we look forward to the future, that we will have the right perspective and the right attitude. Lord, I thank you for this time that we can look in your word, and I pray that you will give me the strength that only your Holy Spirit can give as I preach. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. As I said, turn to Philippians. I, I love to preach from Philippians. It's uh, it's one of my favorite uh, books because it has many of my favorite verses. Um, and this morning I want to preach on one of those favorites for me. And I, I, I'm going to guess it's a favorite of many of you. And that's Philippians chapter 4. And we'll be there in a few moments. But verse 13 is, I'm sure, one that many of you ha- have. It's inspired courage in many people throughout uh, many uh, centuries. Um, and I know that it's one that's been uh, a, a true source of strength for many people. Um, I tell this, I've told this story before, but uh, we were just recounting this story this week as a family. I remember a number of years ago, the first uh, trip that I took when I was youth pastor here, we went to Florida, and as on our trip in Florida, um, we went to Animal Kingdom with the youth. Um, and uh, James Rios... Uh, was uh, I think he was about 15 at the time, and he had never been on a roller coaster before. And so we convinced James to go on this roller coaster. If you've been to Animal Kingdom, there's this roller coaster called Mount Everest, and uh, it's it's really a neat ride. But and and we had to wait in line for like an hour. And the entire time, James Rios is like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And he started quoting this passage. He's in line, and he's quoting it out loud. He's saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do The people around us were just kind of looking at him and uh, giving him funny looks, and, and it became a uh, kind of a joke that it was something that um, whenever he struggled, he would call on this verse. And so I know this is a verse that many times has been uh, a strong point for people. But when we come to this verse, it's the last of a main section of Paul's letters. Paul's letters. This letter of Philippians was written uh, as, as kind of a thank you uh, for a large gift that the Philippians had sent to Paul while he was enchained in Roman prison. They had heard about how much he was suffering, they heard about all the trials he was going through, and they had gathered together as a church in Philippi, they had gathered together and made, made a collection to help with his financial support. And then they decided, okay, we need to take it to him. And so they had one of their uh, church members, uh, a, guy, a guy by the name of Epaphroditus, and they had said to Epaphroditus, you take this gift and take it to Paul. And so that's what took place. And, and so he came to Paul, but before uh, Epaphroditus returned home, Paul said, I want to give you a letter to give to the people of Philippi. And this book of Philippians is that letter. So let's take a moment and just read uh, the passage for today with that understanding. Look at Philippians 4 and verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. 
You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. And in, a, in any and every circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Let's take a moment and consider uh, just one word that we see in this passage. And that is the word content. What does that mean? Now, oftentimes when I say content, you automatically think of, uh, I'm content with what I have. And we just came out of Christmas, and so this is probably a good uh, uh, passage to talk about. It's a good word to talk about. But I'm not talking about content in the sense of, uh, you know, I got enough for Christmas. I remember when I was a kid, and I can thankfully say this isn't my attitude anymore, but when I was a kid, we would have Christmas time, and as a family, we would, uh, we would go around the room, and we'd go youngest to oldest opening our gifts, and everyone would watch, and we'd, we would sit there and think, come on, will you hurry up so I can open mine? And I remember after, we'd go through, and then, and then we'd be like, well, is that it? Or is there more? And my mom and dad would be like, you have a whole pile of stuff that you just got. I know, but is there more? Because we weren't content. That's not really what we're going to be talking about today, although that's part of it. But the contentment here I want to talk to you about is, is something I think even deeper than that. The word that Paul uses here in the original language for content is one that he takes two Greek words and put, puts them into one. The first Greek word that he uses is the word uh, that means self. The second Greek word that he uses is to be, to be sufficient or to be enough. And so when you put them together, the word means to be sufficient or enough for oneself. Now, that does not mean that Paul was saying that he was self-sufficient. Rather, what he meant by this was there was an uh, inward sense of enoughness. That he didn't need to add. That he wasn't dependent on external circumstance for his happiness. He wasn't dependent on material possessions or material provisions for his happiness. In other words, that in and of himself, and he will talk about where it comes from, but he was sufficient. He was content. There are two other places in the New Testament where this Greek word appears. And I want to give those to you because I think it's good to understand uh, the full understanding of this word. First one, this might be hard to read, so if you want to turn there, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter six, chapter 9, excuse me, verses 6 through 8. But in this passage, Paul again is speaking, and he, he says this, Whoever spares sowingly will also reap sowingly. Now I want to explain, he's talking here about giving. So understand that. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one who uh, must give as he decides in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that, having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. See, Paul here is writing to the Corinth believers, and he's writing about uh, the topic of giving, and he's telling them to give generously. He's saying, hey, give, um, um, don't hold back when you give. Just, just give. Give um, as much as you possibly can because they were afraid of, oh, what if I give too much? Then I won't have what I need. And, 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 but notice what he says in this verse. 
he says at the end there, he says, you'll have all sufficiency in all things at all times. That word sufficiency there is the same word for contentment. In other words, what Paul is saying is this, is we never need to be afraid of giving because as we give and as we give and as we give, God will supply our needs and God will give us a sense of of contentment. I think sometimes Christians hold back giving because they think God's not going to supply their needs. And what Paul is saying here is, is, as you give, what you will find out is contentment, true contentment. comes. I talked a couple weeks ago on, uh, before the offering about, about giving and the importance of it. And I don't just say this as, as one who's you know, asking you to give to me. I'm asking you because this is what God says is best for you. Because that's how we receive contentment. The second passage is in, in Timothy, 1 Timothy. It says there, But godliness with contentment is great gain. We have brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world, but if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. It's the same word there. And he's speaking of the importance of contentment. In the context of the passage, he's talking about the importance of contentment in the heart of a person who is a godly man. In other words, what Paul is saying is the kind of contentment that he's speaking of is something that is true of a follower of Jesus Christ. It is something that should be a part of your life if you, are, if you consider yourself a disciple of Christ. But I believe contentment is something that we all crave. It's something we all long for. See, people seek contentment, whether it's in the right thing or the wrong thing. They seek this, this sense of sufficiency. But what happens is, is oftentimes we seek an, uh, for inward contentment through the things of the world. And that leads to fr- frustration, doesn't it? You know, if I just had a better job, then, then I would be content. If I, if I just made a little bit more money, then I would be content. If I just, you know, I have this car, it's okay, but if I had this car, then I would be content. And what we find out happens is, is there is no uh, full contentment through the possession of things. Through what this world has to offer. And all it leads to is frustration. Just want more. This, the things of this world cannot satisfy the soul. And, and, and the circumstances of life are outside of our control and they leave us empty. So what happens is, is this. Man continues to pursue contentment on his own and he doesn't find it. And so you know what he does next is he begins to, since he's, his soul is left unfulfilled by the things of this world, people try harder to achieve contentment through harmful things. Sometimes it's false religion. Sometimes it's false philosophy. Sometimes uh, it's through temporary sensation of contentment uh, that comes from drugs or alcohol or sensual gratification. It doesn't satisfy. But a man of God, a woman of God, as they pursue God, they will find contentment. The God who made us for Himself offers us the contentment that our souls really, truly want. As I said, I believe every single person in this room wants contentment. Or are we pursuing it in the right place? 
Paul here is in this this op- this letter in, of thank you. Uh, he is showing us how prevailing this uh, inner contentment can be in our lives. First, we need to understand the circumstances that he wrote. Look at verse 10, if you will, of our text. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now, I mentioned that Uh, Philippians was written when Paul received a gift from the church of Philippi and Epaphroditus brought it to him. And and then uh, Paul uh, was going to send a letter, this letter, Philippians, to the church there. But as soon as he received from Epaphroditus this generous gift, Paul tells them here, it encouraged me. Uh, it, it was something I greatly rejoiced in. It was it was something I was so appreciative of, and it, it was uh, because it showed that you loved me. And he talks about how they they had great concern for him, but they couldn't fulfill that concern. But now they have an opportunity to fill that concern. And he said, and I and I appreciate that. And Paul is being very thankful here, and that's that's a good quality of Paul. He wasn't an ungrateful person. And he's in this gratefulness, though he's he's telling them to rejoice in this. Look in verse 4 of chapter 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. It was something he commanded them to do, and now he's uh, doing it himself. He's responding that way. And he's saying, Hey, I, I rejoice in that. But then in verse 11, Paul says something that causes many to question the sincerity of, of what he's saying. He says in verse 11, Not that I am speaking of being in need. It almost sounds as if he's saying this. I am so thankful that you gave me this gift. I'm so thankful for how you provided for me, but I didn't really need it. Some have even suggested that Paul, Paul sounds a little cold or, or indifferent to the Philippians when, when he said this. But I don't think that's, that's true. In fact, I think it's the furthest thing from the truth. I think Paul is using this as a teachable moment. Paul wanted them to learn from him. In fact, look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 9. He says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And so Paul is telling them to rejoice, and he is rejoicing, but he was ever mindful of the fact that he was an example to the brothers and sisters uh, in all these churches, but here in Philippi, and they looked at him as how to live a Christian life. And so it wasn't that Paul was ungrateful. Instead, what we see from Paul, and I want to talk about this, was he was such a God-saturated man that he was completely content in the sufficiency of Christ. And he wanted his readers to experience the same thing. He wanted to use this teachable moment about contentment and use himself as an object lesson. He sang in this passion, it's not that I am telling you how much I need. Remember, when he is writing this, he is sitting prison. Now, I'm sure most of us, if we were sitting in prison, would not be thinking, ah, you know, there's nothing I need, I'm good. That's what Paul is saying. What I want to do is I want to look at the idea of contentment. That was introduction. Let's get into the message here, the meat of the message. But I want to start in verse 13. I'm actually going to work my way backwards from verse 13. I want to answer three questions talking about Paul's contentment. First of all, I want to look at where was Paul's contentment centered. Look at verse 13. He says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, remember, Paul's the same guy. If you look back in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, said, 
for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul, for Paul, Jesus Christ was everything. He was his life. He was his joy. He was his satisfaction. And, and he was, as we see in uh, Philippians 4.13, he was his strength. In other words, what Paul said is, uh, there's nothing I can do on my own. Anything I accomplish is through Jesus Christ. How often do you try to do things and you fail? Paul's saying is as if it's of worthy value. And we do it in the name of God and through the strength of God, we will succeed. Now we can see that in other places in Scripture, Paul affirmed this. He affirmed that nothing was done in his own strength. Let's look at a couple passages. Look what it says in 1 Timothy. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to this service. Paul is saying here that Jesus enabled him to do what he was called to do. You know what? And I'm thankful that that God enabled me. Little um, look into me, okay, for a moment. Little moment of honesty. You know, I, I sit over here on Sunday morning, and many times I sit there thinking, God, you sure you want me to do this? And as we sit here singing through the final songs, I'm often praying, God, strengthen me, strengthen me, strengthen me. I feel so weak today. I feel so inadequate today. And here Paul is saying, hey, there's many times where, God, you strengthen me. You appointed me to this, God, and I know that there's only the only way it's possible is through you. And, and, God, and Paul is telling us that he went in obedience to the call of God, not through his own strength, not through his own power, but through the power of, of God. And even near the end, after all that Paul went through, after all the threats and after all the, the trials that he faced, after all he attempted, he made it clear that it wasn't his own strength. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul, again, he's not, he's not pointing at himself. He's saying, hey, the only way I could do this is through God. And what Paul is saying here is that uh, we filter this all the way down and Paul is saying that I can do all things through Christ. And that was his prayer for the people he ministered to. Notice what he said in Ephesians when he was talking to the church at Ephesus and he was talking about his desire for them. He says, "Not to him who, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think according to the power of God within us, to him be glory in the church, in Jesus Christ throughout generations, forever and ever. Amen. Notice how Paul describes God. He's able to do far more abundantly. Now, Let's take this back to the context of what we're talking about. And in the context that we're talking about, he's talking about contentment. And so we trickle that down of God can do anything through you. God can strengthen you to do anything he asks you to do. And then God comes to us and says, we are to be content. That means he's going to strengthen us to do it. You know, sometimes it's easy to think, oh yeah, God wants me to do this task, I can do it, and we, we, we muscle through it with God's help. But 
This is, a, this is a hard one sometimes, isn't it? This contentment. And again, I'm not just talking about contentment about our possessions, about the things we own. I mean contentment in life. Because as believers, we are, we, are, uh, we are hounded by the circumstances of life. But as believers, we are not to be subject to the circumstances of life. Our joy is not dependent on our material resources or our outward events. Our joy is not to be based on, hey, this is what's going on in my life, and this is weighing me down. Our joy is to be based on our sufficiency in Christ. Our sense of sufficiency in all things is dependent upon the unchanging sufficiency of Christ. Ask yourself, how is your overall sense of contentment? Is it cheaply gained and easily lost? Oh, you're content today because, man, the kids are behaving, uh, your health is okay, uh, your, things are going well. But tomorrow you wake up and, man, your husband's driving you nuts, your job stinks, and your bills need to be paid, and suddenly contentment's gone. Check your heart and see where does your contentment rest. See, what Paul was saying in this passage is, he was saying this, is my contentment rests in the strength and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Paul's contentment was unshakable. It didn't matter if he woke up one morning and life was bad, or if he woke up one morning and life was good. His contentment was the same. And it's not because Paul was a super Christian, it's because his contentment was not centered on circumstances, but it was centered on the unchanging person of Jesus Christ. Are you a moody person? and you, it, 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 Your circumstances determine your attitude. And you are not content. Your contentment is not based on Jesus Christ. If our contentment is centered on Jesus Christ, our contentment will be unstate, unshakable. But if our contentment is not centered on Jesus, then we will struggle every time that life is not what we think it should be. If you had moments this year that life was hard, where was your contentment in those moments? Where did, uh, where was Paul's contentment centered? It was centered on Jesus Christ. Second question we want to answer is what did Paul's contentment look like? Look back in verse 12. We're going in reverse order, as I said. Look what he says in verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I mean, Paul truly experienced it all. He had been brought low. It's interesting, in that passage, verse 12, when he says, I know how to be brought low, that, that phrase, brought low, uh, was a word that was oftentimes in their culture used to describe a river that was basically almost dry. A river that because of a drought, there was not much left in it. And you have to understand, for them, the, a river was a source of water. It was the source of where they would uh, oftentimes clean their clothes. It was a, it was, it was a valuable thing. And so a, a river that was almost dry was, was something that would cause great problems. And he's saying, I've been there. I've been to that point when man, my river was low. But then he says, I also know how to abound. 
That is the idea of a river that is overflowing. He had known what it felt like to have a belly that was full and satisfied. But he also knew what it was like to be hungry and have no idea where the next meal was going to come from. He knew what it was like to have a bank account that was full and was, uh, was, was doing well, but he also knew what it was like to be in moments of poverty. And yet, his sense of inner sufficiency was unaffected by these changing circumstances. He knew how to be all of these things, whatever they were. I would say that most of us have learned something of either one or the other. Uh, I, I would say that most of us have either been prosperous or poor, full or empty, abounding or brought low, but few of us know what it feels like to be both. Really to feel both. For most of us who have been poor, one of the worst things that could happen is suddenly to be prosperous. We wouldn't know how to handle it. And maybe that's why in the mercy of God, He doesn't do that for us. So I guess there's no point you know, playing the lottery then. But for some of us who have been comfortable or prosperous, one of the worst things that could happen was suddenly lose it all because we wouldn't know how to handle it. And what Paul is saying is, I've been both. And in them I'm content. I mean, Paul had some difficult circumstances. Look, look at uh, this passage in Second Corinthians where Paul is talking about circumstances of his life. And look what he says. Uh, and, and just imagine for yourself if you've experienced even one of these. For far greater labors and far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received at the hand of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toils and hardships through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure and apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. What amazing ups and downs that Paul experienced. I mean, uh, these are horrible things that he's talking about. And in terms of our own human resources, any one of these experiences would have been more than many of us could have handled. And yet Jesus Christ strengthened him and upheld him through those various extremes of life. Notice what he says in the middle of verse 2. He says, in any and every circumstance. That pretty much covers it all, doesn't it? Let me ask you, in any and every circumstance, can you be content? He was proving it as he was writing this. He was sitting in a dark prison awaiting execution. And yet he's saying, I can be content. Believer, I, I believe if Paul was here today, he would tell us that his desire would be that the same can be true for you and I. If we keep our, our, our sense of sufficiency not centered on our circumstances or our, our financial 
problems or blessings, but if we keep our our sufficiency centered on Jesus Christ as Paul did, then we will be empowered by him to experience the same consistency of contentment that he experienced. In verse 13, we see that Paul's contentment was Christ-centered. Then moving backwards in verse 12, we saw that it looked like that he was consistent no matter what came. But now I want to look at verse, 13, uh, verse 11 as we close up and look at probably the most practical element of this whole passage. And we want to answer the question, how did Paul receive this contentment? Look at verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. I need to remind you for a moment that Paul was made of the same fallible, sinful flesh as you and I. Such contentment in Christ, a contentment that stayed consistent through the various ups and downs of Paul's life, did not come naturally. There's no magic formula here of Paul's contentment. He didn't become a content man as a result of a sudden spiritual experience. Notice what he says there. I have what? Learned. I have learned. I have learned. Contentment is a learned trait that became His, is the same way it can become ours, by practice. That, that word there, learned, uh, means to be taught. It's interesting because that word learned is the same idea of what we see in uh, verse 9. What you have learned from Me, He says. What you have, what you have seen from Me. And here, the idea is that it's something that has to be taught till it becomes a habit. Um, growing up, I, uh, many of you know this, some of you may not, I played the trumpet. And uh, I remember my trumpet teacher, he used to, he used to tell me I, I needed to practice uh, an hour a day. And most of the time I did that, not always. But uh, I practiced, and, and I remember... Uh, him telling me that if I'm playing along in a song and I get to a note and I don't play it right or the, the, the rhythm's not right or, or whatever it is, he said, uh, I, what I want you to do is I want you to go back and I want you to play that little section until it's right. And keep playing and keep playing and keep playing. And the idea that he had was is, is, is practice and practice and practice. And here's, that's the idea of this word here is that uh, how do we get contentment? We, we learn it. We practice it over and over again. But he goes on further. We looked at verse uh, 12, and I'm going to look a little further on in verse 12. He says in the middle of verse 12, in, in any and every circumstance, I have learned. He sees it again, okay? I have learned the secret of facing plenty. I have, I have learned these things. But the word learn there is a, it's a different word than we saw in verse 11. This word is interesting because it's the word secrets in the ESV, but it's, it's initiated, the word learn there means initiated in secret. Um, and what Paul is saying is this is not something that, that came naturally, but it had to be not just learned, but taught by someone else. Okay, it had to be taught. Uh, you know, I, 
I didn't uh, wake up one morning and knew how to play the trumpet. I was taught. You're taught things, and that's the idea here, he says. So it's something that needs to be learned, but it needs to be taught. So Paul knew the secret of experiencing contentment was in Jesus Christ. It goes back to what we saw in verse 13. It came by resting in the sufficiency of Christ. It came by understanding that Christ is enough. And what He has given us is enough. It was a contentment that proved itself in actual experience so that whether He prospered or whether He suffered need, whether He was full or famished, He enjoyed a satisfying inner sufficiency through Christ. And it's not something that came any more natural to Paul than it does to us. It's something that he learned. And it took time. And it took effort. And it was not something that he just did once and it was done. It was, it was something that took him through the school of everyday experiences. So how then can we be content like Paul? How can we experience this sort of contentment that Paul had throughout all of the circumstances? Obviously, the first thing is, is that you need to be absolutely sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because if you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are never going to be content. Ever. No matter how hard you try, there's always going to be a longing for something else and something more because God has built that within us, a a longing for a relationship with Him. And so without Him, there's going to be that longing. And, And so there must be, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Look back at Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9. He says there, And being found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. That is how we build a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not through our own. Just as Paul had done, you must cease from trusting in your own good to make your life better. You must cease from trusting in your own good to, to make your righteousness before God enough. And, and conscientiously place your trust in the cross of Jesus Christ alone. You cannot have contentment that is a gift of God's grace if you do not have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. But it's not enough to have placed your faith in Jesus Christ at some point in your life and then just think, hey, I'm good. No, you have to maintain a relationship. You have to keep your relationship vital. You have to grow. You have to expand in your relationship with God. And, And the Bible uses the term abide. Look what he says in in John chapter 15. Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the the vine dresser. And what he says there is, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by himself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So you can you can say, okay, yeah, I got saved. And many people do this. I got saved. I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. But you're stuck there. What's going to happen? Jesus said, you've got to abide in me. You've got to keep having a relationship with me. Otherwise, you're going to die. Not a physical death. You're going to die in a relationship with God. There must be a constant 
relationship, a constant relationship. And the idea here is of, uh, of a fruit tree or, or uh, specifically a, a grapevine. And, and, you know, if you cut off part of the branch and you just hang the branch, that, you know what, it's not going to bring any forth any fruit. As you abide in, in your relationship with Christ and continue to grow in Him, you must learn by practical experience to bring that sufficiency, that enoughness of Christ to bear in the changing circumstances of your life. In the ups and the downs of life, turn it all to Him. Keep Him at the center. You know, if you go this week, and I, my, my hope is this doesn't happen to anyone, but you go this week to the doctor and you are told you have some sort of terminal illness, Here's the thing. Christ is still sufficient. Christ is still enough for you. Rejoice in Him in times of abundance. Acknowledge that He's in control in times of want. Remember at the very beginning of the message, I asked you to think about one event in 2018 that you would like to get rid of in your life. I want to challenge you with this. Be content. I understand. I am not saying this, uh, uh, that this is an easy task. But be content in your situation in that event. It may be God has a greater plan for your life, and the only way possible to that greater plan is through the event that you want to remove. It may be that that event, you will not ever understand why God put it in your life. I think sometimes we have this false understanding as as believers that you know, every bad event that eventually, you know, we're going to know why God did it to us and eventually it's going to turn out perfect. We don't know that. I mean, here's the reality. Paul faced these rough situations and eventually, you know what? He was martyred for his faith. So it wasn't that he prayed and, oh, if I'm content, God's going to make everything good. No. Eventually he faced death. We need to understand that, that in any circumstances, as Paul said, I know what it's like to be low. I know what it's like to abound in great things. I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be full. But in every situation, no matter what, I am going to be content. And I know that I can do it. Jesus Christ. Because it's not of myself, it's from Him. Let's pray. God, I thank You for this passage. God, I, I know that even in my own life, this, this, is, this is a challenge. God, there are many circumstances in my life that I wish that could change that I wish that I could alter somehow. And yet, I'm to be content. Lord, I pray that You will help me understand the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, that, that I don't need anything. I don't want for anything. As long as I am having a relationship with Jesus Christ, 
as long as I am removing the sin from my life, and I have a right walk with God. Lord, I just pray that you'll help each person here to understand that this contentment is achievable. It's achievable only through Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's any in here who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray you'll help them to understand that they, they cannot be content. That longing in their heart, that, that emptiness that they're trying to fill can only be filled through Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you will help them to see that. You will convict their, their souls and you will draw them to you. And Lord, for those who are believers, Lord, I pray they'll help them to understand that we, we can't run in those hard times. Lord, that we have to be content. We need to address the sin. Lord, help us to be content. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.